We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. To be honest, I would put myself in the same category as D-Wade. Now Artest is jumped over the scorer's table. Artest is in the stands. This man was a bona fide scrub. He can't play. When I go to the writers to tell me who can guard in this league, I'll put a gun to my own head. Welcome to the Roadwire NBA podcast. It is Thursday, February 20th. Nick Whalen back with Alex Barutha. Alex, we have a lot to get to. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about All-Star Weekend in Chicago, although with that being now four days in the rear view, um, you know, that's been covered elsewhere on, on plenty of podcasts, but we'll get into that a little bit. The new format, the dunk contest, the game itself, um, before kind of looking ahead to, to what we have now and what's usually called the second half of the season, really not the second half at all. I think every team has played at least 53 games. Some teams has play, have played as many as 57 so for some teams, you really only have 25 games remaining, which is not very many. It's basically a two-month sprint now uh, until the playoffs. So a lot to get to in terms of discussing both conferences there. But right before we hopped on the air, we got news from from Shams that Kyrie Irving is now likely to undergo surgery on his problematic shoulder. That's the same shoulder that cost him a stretch of 26 games 
uh, from mid-November to mid-January earlier this season. Of course, he missed the last five games before the All-Star break uh, with a separate knee issue. But the Nets aren't saying it, but based on what we heard from Kenny Atkinson earlier this week and now based on this latest report, I feel pretty confident that we've seen the last of Kyrie Irving this season. It would surprise me if he played again. Um, I'm, I'm with you on that. Health has just been an issue for him throughout his entire career. Um, mm-hmm. He's never played more than 75 games in a season. Um, hasn't played more than 72 games. Or the last time he played 72 games was 2016-17. That was his last year with the Cavs. Um, I mean, as far as what this means for the Nets, I don't really know if this means anything for them this season. Um, you look at the on-off court numbers with Kyrie. The the difference uh, in per 100 possessions when he's on the court, the team is plus 0.4 uh, net rating better. So it's it, it virtually no difference for them. Um, the play style is a little different. Like they, they don't uh, play as fast of a pace. Both their offensive rating and defensive rating um, reflect that when he's off the court. But yeah, I mean, this is um, a very weird ending to Kyrie's first season. It's just been a weird first season yeah. in general for him in Brooklyn. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think coming into the year, the expectation was always that this would be a waiting year, a holding pattern until right. KD is back. And it seems like Kyrie kind of took that to heart more than maybe the rest of the <laughs> roster. You know, I mean, in some ways, this is kind of, it kind of reminds me of the Clippers out West where, you know, I, I think the Clippers are certainly a better team than Brooklyn. I, I think the George uh, Kawhi duo, you know, has is, is, is obviously been healthier. So it's kind of a different dynamic, but you know, I think the Nets felt like they had a nice little core established. I think the Clippers felt the same way. And to bring two stars in around that, basically that exact same core and expect things to mesh, um, you know, hasn't necessarily worked for Brooklyn and, and Kyrie being hurt has been the main issue. You know, I, I think, um, you know, the whole, the Nets are better without Kyrie narrative has probably been a little bit overblown, uh, but we're really going to see now because they have, they're one of the teams that's played only 53 games. So they have a sizable chunk of their schedule remaining and we've kind of talked about them all season even back when Kyrie was injured in January it was always like well they can only fall so far you know they're still the seven seed they're 25 and 28 they've you know they haven't had the year that they thought they would and yet they still have a decent cushion five games between them and the current nine seed Washington Wizards my question is if we don't get Kyrie back the rest of the season um, is there a chance that the Nets fall out of the playoff race. I think the bigger issue is which team replaces them. You know, I don't think the Nets are going to be that good of a team down the stretch. It's more so do we trust Washington, Chicago, you know, Detroit, Charlotte, whoever it might be to make that charge necessary to pass them? Uh, I mean, I could, I, I kind of made a case um, in an article I wrote the other day for the site that it could be Washington. Um, the main concern with them is they have the fourth most difficult remaining strength of schedule. Um, so that's going to be really tough for Washington, who already has one of the worst defenses in NBA history to potentially make the playoffs. Um, they play the Bucks three more times. Mm-hmm. Washington does, plus the Lakers. Three um, easy wins. I mean, the the Bulls are the team that has the you know the real talent advantage and the team that I thought was going to be better coming into the year, but they also have a really tough schedule. So I would I think I would just bank on the the Nets being the ones who end up in the playoffs, but. At the same time, it, it wouldn't surprise me if somehow Washington or, or Chicago snuck in, um, you know, just through basically getting healthy um, and, and kind of exceeding expectations um, that, you know, yeah. Chicago's a team to watch for me. And, I mean, they're seven games back, which is a lot to make up. Even even when you have close to 30 games, if you're Brooklyn, I mean, I, 
you know, that like Brooklyn could go, let, let's say, I think they have 29 games left. So let's say they go, you know, under 500, they go 10 and 19 in that span. I mean, you're still asking Chicago to play significantly better than it has a team with a 35% winning percentage this year. And, but the thing with them is, you know, they get Wendell Carter back at some point in the near future. Same for Laurie Markkinen. Otto Porter has been practicing. So like roster wise, I think just based on straight up healthy talent two weeks from now, I think you might like the Bulls roster quite a bit more than the Nets roster. You know, looking ahead, I, I think you'd obviously want the KD Kyrie duo, but for the rest of this season, um, I think Chicago could gain ground. It's, I think it's going to end up being really close. Um, but I, I think Brooklyn, I mean, a seven games, a seven game difference at this point in the year is 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 a lot. So I think Brooklyn ends up holding on. But to me, they probably get passed by Orlando, and they probably end up as the eight seed, which just means you know a, a four game probably lose each game by a thirty point sweep against Milwaukee. Yeah, we're in complete agreement there. Yep. Uh, let's do All-Star real quick. Uh, I was in Chicago for the weekend checking things out. Um, this is my second All-Star game. I went in 2017 in New Orleans. Dramatically different setup weather-wise. New Orleans had a lot of outdoor activities. It was perfect weather for that in, in mid-February. Um, you know, Chicago also kind of tried to do that. They set up a kind of a fan player experience at Navy Pier, which I never made it over to. Nobody that I talked to went. I think it was, I mean, it was really, really cold yeah, oh yeah. for three or two of the three days that I was there. So I, I don't think they got much action there, but obviously the storyline is, is the game itself, the format change. Are you as hundred percent gung-ho? This was a smashing success, a plus uh, as everybody else seems to be. Uh, I liked it. Um, I thought, I mean, I don't think the, um, I don't think the refs were ready for it. Like you, they spend the first three quarters basically not calling fouls, right? And then all of a sudden, the last, you know, the the last quarter of this game turns into the most talented, intense pickup game of all time, maybe. I um, think that's fair, yeah. <laughs> and so I think that made it kind of rough down the stretch, but I think the intensity was good, um, and I think that it was, you know, maybe the best example. I think it just provided a really good example of what mm-hmm. the Elam ending can be. Um, in yeah. terms of excitement and you know it, it wouldn't surprise me if that was something they continued to experiment with going forward if it was mm-hmm. in the g league or summer league or or right. stuff like that i think it's it's impressive that this format got such great reviews based on how it ended you know with things ending on a free throw like i'm i, I was you know kind of down lower uh during that part of it and there were audible boos as anthony davis who is a chicago native and got a huge ovation uh, during intros and throughout the game is at the line because people aren't booing it there wasn't like a a palpable team lebron or team Giannis lean for the crowd i mean it's an right. all-star game nobody there really cares but the entire crowd was basically booing anthony davis they were they were booing the format the fact that it was going to end on a free throw and you know davis is like an 85 percent shooter this year i mean there was not much of a chance that he missed both of them even though he, he did miss the first um there was just kind of all this disappointment because up, up until then the score was was basically uh, stuck at 154-153 for an unknown amount of game time because, of course, there was no clock. Um, but it was just kind of – Team LeBron basically got it you know, got it within one shot, a three. And they just – three straight possessions, I think. LeBron pulled up from almost half court and rimmed out on what would have been an awesome game winner. Kawhi missed a three. Harden missed a three. I think Chris Paul missed one in there. Like it was – and that, that was also sprinkled in with two replay reviews, uh, a challenge, uh, a number of fouls. So it, the end of the game was really clunky overall. And it it kind of it kind of resembled some of the late finals games that we've seen, where both teams are really pressing, and you know there's just so much talent on the floor, especially on defense, that it's really hard to score. So I think the fact that you know everyone seemed really satisfied with this, despite the game ending 
in, in somewhat of an anticlimactic way. I, I think there are other, like, if, assuming that the NBA continues with this going forward, which I, I think they almost certainly have to, I think we're going to see significantly better endings in future All-Star games. Yeah, I think so. I don't even, I don't necessarily mind the free throw ending. I know it's not great, but if you were talking yeah. about implementing this over the full course of a season, I think people will get used to it very quickly. Um, maybe not. I don't know, but I, I don't really mind it that much. Um, I think I, we'll see it in summer league. I don't think we'll see it in an NBA regular season game for a while. No, I agree with that. Yeah. I'm saying in the, in like a summer league. Oh yeah. Yeah. I I think people, I think if people saw it more, they get used to it and eventually they just would stop minding that. I think I, I think I heard someone cite that like 10 to 15% of the games in the basketball tournament end on a free throw, which isn't horrible. Um, and I think you have to consider the alternative of how many, like, I think in your mind you have all, you have these memories of memorable buzzer beaters and and all that, but like, how often does that really happen? You know, I mean, if you, what percentage of NBA games end in a true buzzer beater? Like 5% or less? Probably less. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, almost zero bucks right. games. Yeah, you know exactly. I mean? like and even, and I think part of like the true buzzer beater, at least for me, has kind of been ruined in recent years because of the advancements in timekeeping. You know, like every buzzer beater is immediately proceeded by a review oh, to yeah, see yeah, if yeah. there's, you know, they, you know, guys are going crazy. They're heading to the locker room and you got to pull everybody back out on the court to play out the final 0.2 seconds. And it yep. just, it kind of ruins the whole aura of it. Whereas with this, eliminating time altogether, that's, it's just not a, a factor whatsoever. And so you create this scenario where even if one team wins a game by 35, they're still a game winner. You know, I mean, right. it might, it might not have the same kind of drama when, when each team is within one basket of winning, but you at least have a scenario where a basket has to clinch the game. And I think overall, that's, probably what the nba wants especially during a, a period right now where people seem to be complaining just about the i don't know i wouldn't say lack of effort in games but just kind of the lack of um i don't even know what the right word is but just the lack of like just fanfare the lack of reason to care i guess about a game in mid-february yeah i mean a lot yeah a lot of games you know uh aren't even worth watching after like the middle of the third quarter yeah because you can tell like if the score you know if the score is 85 right. to 68 you, and you're considering tuning into that game. Yeah. There's a strong chance you're gonna be like, "Well, who am I really? Who am I tuning yeah. in to see? Like, what are the odds that this? Bu- if this one team comes back, and if they start coming back, I can just tune yeah. in the last five minutes anyway." Well, at some point, it becomes a math equation too. You know, like you right. could be down 20 points with a minute and a half left, or let's say four minutes left. You could hold the other team scoreless, but they're probably still going to win the game just because they could hold each possession. You know, you can waste 24 seconds yeah. at each time, like. You know, you're always kind of in the game, even though mathematically I, I think it would probably work out about the same in terms of winning percentages. Not having the clock, you can always convince yourself if you're one of those people that you're still in the game. You can just say, hey, if we, if we don't let them score another point, we can win this game. Whereas when you have a time component, that's just not part of it. Right. I think, yeah, I think eliminating the team against the clock is is probably a good idea. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how they would handle a situation like the fourth quarter of the All-Star game was really long. It yes, I think someone said it was like 45 minutes of real time, and there were no commercial breaks. There were all these, right. all these kind of timeouts and challenges and reviews, but they never kicked it to commercial, which I thought was really interesting. I, they have to find a way if they were to implement this in summer league, whatever, um, to try to keep you know those the the fourth quarters between like what eight and 15 minutes. You know, they, you have to find a scoring yeah. range, whatever, some rules that make sense so that it doesn't go too yeah. long. Well, it's interesting because I was complaining last week about 24 points not being enough. You know, I was <laughs> I was thinking, like, this is going to be over in five minutes. And, I mean, the, the first half of – I don't even remember what the score was going into the fourth, but it went – the, the first part seemed to be quick. And then once both teams kind of got around 150, that's when the defenses really started to clamp down. I mean, we saw teams – 
you know, team Giannis was just kind of attacking LeBron, attacking Harden, and and LeBron's team. I think part of part of the reason that it was so clunky, it was just two two teams that had drastically different personnel. I mean, you had basically all the playmakers were on Team LeBron, and then more of the kind of star role player types. You know, I'm thinking of Siakam, even even the way that Giannis plays. You know, like he's not gonna he's not gonna hit a step back three in a game like this. You know, he's kind of a guy who needs to go one on one, plow his way to the hole. Embiid's kind of the same way. We saw him go at Harden a couple times. Uh, the only guy that was out there late for Team Team Giannis that could really do that was Kemba Walker, and he was horrible. He had a great game up until that that final kind of six or seven minutes, um, but yeah, the way the way the talent was divided up, you know, there were guys on the bench for Team LeBron that I wanted to see on the court for Team Giannis. Right. I mean, when it's a when it's a situation like that where there are no when it gets so intense, but there are also zero game plans, and you're playing with a bunch yeah. of people you're not used to playing with, and the talent level, like it's so much easier to make an impact yeah. on defense and for the offense just to keep scrambling and scrambling and not finding something that works. And I heard people criticize like. You know, use this as an example to criticize Giannis. I heard that like, as well. It, he, oh, you can't <laughs> succeed in the half court. I'm like in this in this weird all star yeah. pickup format with zero coaching and people. He's he never... couldn't get a bucket on a team that has Kawhi, Anthony Davis, and LeBron <laughs> in the paint. No, I I mean there is some merit to that. Like obviously we've seen Giannis struggle in those situations. I'm not willing to use a four minute period at the end of the 2020 All Star game as a referendum on Giannis's offensive package. Right. Two things I noticed being there. Uh, in person well one of, one of them's an observation Russell Westbrook sat on the bench by himself for almost the entire fourth quarter <laughs> he was not happy to not be out there at the end uh, Luka Doncic was also on the bench with him Luka you know as a starter would have maybe made sense for him to be the fifth guy out there and we kind of saw that with team Giannis too a starter and Trey Young was was subbed out for Kyle Lowry um, so neither Doncic nor Westbrook were out for the stretch run they played at the beginning of the quarter and then were pulled for for kind of the a-plus team um of lebron's buddies plus you know plus harden and Kawhi, and yeah westbrook finally got up i think when it was 154 153 and because you know both teams are standing and into right. it they're clapping um and it, t- it took him a while to get into it which is not surprising well it was 154 153 again for several minutes you know every basket especially for team lebron because they were within three you know everybody's gasping the whole crowd is up everybody's standing some guy like a 50 year old guy I, and i tweeted this out came and tapped me on the shoulder and he must have saw the the credential and I had a backpack on or whatever. So he's like, yo, where's the time? How much time is left? And I'm just like, wait, wait what? Like, he just caught me so off guard. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, I can't find the time anywhere. Why, where are they putting this? I'm like, I cannot imagine the confusion that this man was going through. I'm like, see where it says target score 157? Like, he's probably wondering, like, why are they pulling up for all these threes? Like, this is so ridiculous. Um, so I don't know. Like, how many people in the crowd were in that same spot? Who knows? Like, just I'm trying to think, like, if I went to this game with my family and they didn't ask about it, they would probably be thinking the same thing. Like there were probably hundreds of people in the crowd who were just blissfully unaware of what was going on did at the they end. Not, they did not explain it beforehand at all? Not that I saw. Okay. No, I mean, maybe over like the PA, but who's, who really pays attention to sure. that word for word? They definitely did not make an effort other than putting target score 157 in huge yellow font <laughs> on the on the Jumbotron. But I guess you can kind of imagine if you if you weren't briefed on it, that would also be confusing without context. I don't know. I just thought it just made me wonder, like, how many other people are just completely baffled baffled by what's going on. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Um, 
Okay, uh, I don't really have too many thoughts on the dunk contest. If, if you do, you can. Now is your time. I really don't. It was good. It was good. I heard people compare it to Levine Gordon. Nowhere close to that. I no. thought it was very good. Yes. It was a B plus. Levine Gordon was an A plus. Dwight was a disaster. The first dunk by Dwight I liked a lot. I think you he liked was that? I, the the one where he kind of paused in midair. That was really impressive. That was fine. I thought it was good. I thought it was really really good. I think he was put in a bad spot having to go first. Because unless you're coming out with a crazy dunk right away, I think that's like the one time when they maybe are hesitant to hand out 50s. That shouldn't have been a 50, but I I think he deserved better on that one. Yeah. I mean, maybe I just uh, was turned off by it because it was such a Dwight dunk where he like smiled at the camera. He's like, everyone wants to see me like the Superman thing. There was an audible like grumble from the crowd when he pulled that out. I think everybody knew no matter what dunk he did, he could have done three front front flips in midair and dunked it and he still would have got like a 42. Yeah, that was uh, I was I was grumbling at home yeah. about that. Yeah, that was pretty disgusting. I, a lot of people think Connaughton kind of got screwed. I, the problem was everybody was doing dunks where they were jumping over people. So you know his was impressive, and he I, he tapped the backboard, and I think he got a fifty for that one. But the second one was just kind of another vaulting over someone, and right. it just seemed like him, Jones, and Gordon were all just taking turns, kind of doing variations of the same dunk. So I I didn't really feel too strongly. Uh, I, I think at the end of the day, though, I, Jones was probably the right winner. Coggington definitely deserved a 50 on the backboard one because that's it's hard yes. to emphasize how difficult that is, especially oh for someone yeah. who's like 6'4", 6'5". Yes. Um, and then – but I also don't think that he would have remotely competed with Aaron Gordon no, no. or Derek Jones in the finals. So at the same time, I'm not too upset yeah. about him not making right. it to the finals. I think Coggington is a like north-south leaper. You know, like he's an impressive – like you know if you're testing him at the combine a vertical like yeah. that's i don't think he has like the same kind of body control like jones and gordon the way that they can contort themselves in midair and kind of adjust in midair like i don't think Connaughton has that right i don't think it's like he has he he doesn't really have like he's not he's not limmy right know, he doesn't have long limbs i don't think he right. could you know jones is someone who can basically dunk from the free throw oh line Connaughton couldn't even i don't think he could get close yeah. to that jones had a couple where like he, you know, he was in the air for so long that he was kind of coming down and was finishing on the way down, but his arms were so long that he was still finishing yeah. them cleanly. Like, he really wasn't that high off the ground. I mean, kind of like watching some of Giannis's dunks where, like, they almost don't look that impressive because he doesn't get that high because right. his arms are so long he just doesn't have to. There's, like, one-footed windmills he does in games. Yeah, right. I swear to God, he's, like, seven inches off the ground. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it, like, you want to be, like, somewhere between 6'3 and 6'8, I think, to make the – and, like, Derek Jones is kind of the perfect dunker body. Yeah. The Connaughton argument is the same reason I, I think LeBron is right to never do the dunk contest because he's not a contest dunker. He's a power in-game dunker. He can't do the things that Gordon and, J- and Jones were doing either. No, maybe in his absolute prime. Maybe. Yeah, but he's not, like you said, Limmy is a good word. He's not. Right. He's, he doesn't have the, the fluidity that those guys do. Come prop up on Thrive Fantasy this NBA season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports app for player props. They've eliminated the need to do countless hours of research because they only ask you about the top-tier athletes in a respective sport. Choose 10 out of the 20 player prop options to build your lineup. Each prop has a fantasy point total associated with the over or the under based on its likelihood to occur. The more points a selection is worth, the riskier it is. Rack up the most points. You can win a share of the daily prize pool. Thrive has over $2,000 guaranteed each day in prizes for its NBA contests alone. Use promo code RW, that's the letter R and the letter W, when you sign up today, and you'll receive an instant match of up to $25 on your first deposit. Download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or the Google Play Store, or by visiting thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and prop up today. All right, let's get into 
uh, just kind of general storylines, predictions that we're looking for uh, over these final couple of months. You and I both wrote articles for the site uh, earlier this week. You kind of took a look more at some of the gambling angles uh, as we get down the stretch, both for teams and players. I did some, you know, nine fantasy predictions for the second half. Uh, that one is, was up on Yahoo as well. But I'll let you start with with whatever you were, whichever way you want to take this. I guess as far as the gambling angles that you found when you started doing your research. Well, I noticed we both have Zion on our in our article, so I'll I'll kind of bring that up, um, and then you can kind of piggyback off of that. But I mean, Zion is is on the he could save the Pelican season. Uh, that might be kind of dramatic, but. They're five and a half games back out of the eighth seed right now. Um, and they have the easiest remaining strength of schedule. Meanwhile, I'm pretty sure the Grizzlies who aren't yeah, the Grizzlies who are in the eighth spot have the toughest remaining yes. schedule. Um, and so and it's about by 10 percentage points. And so since Zion uh, came back uh, uh, from his injury, the Pelicans are six and five straight up. They're six and five against the spread and they're seven and four to the over. Um, they've been an over team all season. That's that's still trending, but his his stats um, are insane. He, the Pelicans, I I double checked this and maybe triple checked it. Pelicans are sixteen point one points per one hundred possessions better when Zion is on the court uh, compared to when he's off the court. His win shares per forty eight minutes higher than Demar Derozan, Vucevic, Devin Booker, Paul George. His overall win shares. This takes into account his total minutes played is higher than Eric Gordon and Carmelo Anthony. And both of those guys have basically played entire seasons. Like, yep. Melo missed the first part. Gordon's missed some time in the middle. But still, Zion has played, like, 12 games. Um, and, and and one thing that I, I wanted to note, the Pelicans' offensive rebounding rate when Zion is on the court is 31.6%. If that was for the whole year, if that was just the Pelicans' number, that would lead the league by 6.2%, which is a margin bigger than the current best offensive rebounding team and the current worst offensive rebounding team. So what he's doing on what he's doing for the Pelicans right yep. now is is kind of I want to say unprecedented, but he's been mm-hmm. it way better than even I thought he would be. And I think some of the people who are really high on him, I'm not sure they anticipated him being this good right out of the gate. And he's only had one bad game. And it was against the Bucks, the best yep. team in the league. So And that was still a game that the Pelicans were in for much longer than most teams are right. against the Bucks. That was that was a game into the early fourth quarter. I I focus kind of more on just like what his fantasy upside is the rest of the way. And I, I think my prediction was he averages 25 a game the rest of the season. And sure. I, I think that's very feasible. I think it would maybe be more of a bold prediction to predict that he raises his season average up to 25. Right. I think he's right. He's at like 22 right now. Uh, but he's just there, there. I couldn't find the exact quote, but I, I remember reading it just before the break. Um, both Lonzo Ball and Alvin Gentry separately said that like they can't believe how easily he scores or like it, it seems like he has 14 points and you look up and he has 28 points right and that's kind of how it's been for him like it all of this has been so easy and you know it's you mentioned their record it's not like they're undefeated with Zion in the in the lineup you know it hasn't been that drastic from a team wins and losses perspective but he's just kind of you know doing the little things and ending up with 22 points and eight rebounds every single night and I think, you know, we did our initial projections on him before the the knee injury. I, I think I did those back in August and September. Like we had him at like two steals and I think close to two blocks per game. He's not done anything on defense. Like he's been as as like a statistical defender, pretty bad. I mean, I, obviously he just being like the body that he is and the having the athleticism that he that he has. Like some of that is kind of unquantifiable. But 
I mean, he's blocking well under one shot per game, well under one steal per game. Um, so I think in, in terms of his fantasy profile and then just his overall production, he has a ton of room to grow on the defensive side. And we're seeing some nights where, you know, he has two games with five assists already, but he has more games with one or zero assists than he does games with, with multiple assists. You know, so like right. he, there's a lot of nights where he's just kind of like their third or fourth option and he's still getting to 20 and eight you know i think we're going to get to a point eventually whether it's this season or next season where he becomes more of a primary playmaker and the assist numbers are going to go way up because the passing is clearly there they're just not asking him to do it right and what he doesn't you're right he doesn't have great defensive numbers like steals blocks but the you know their defensive rating when he's on the court is 105 yep. which is great um and so and that's compared to 114 when he's off the court. So which I, is not great. It's just not great at all. Um, and just from like a gambling perspective, my point was like, you know, earlier in the season, I you'd be really conservative to pull the trigger on taking like the Pelicans to win games, um, or or to cover the spread. And now I don't think you have to do that. I think you can, you know, with confidence, uh, feel like you can consistently take the Pelicans money line and figure you you could end up profitable you could take Mm -hmm. them the over you could take the you know their number against the spread i just think his he's only going to get better too you know throughout the season so um from a betting perspective they're a team i would be targeting uh to try to get some you know some good money lines on yeah i think the most encouraging thing with zion is there's been no signs of you know any any issues at all with the knee so far and you know i mean the minutes have kind of gradually increased with no no issues you know we haven't I don't even think he's been listed as questionable for any game since he came back. I mean, it, it seems like it's been pretty clean, uh, and that's that's super encouraging. The rest of the way, uh, where else? Where else did you, um, you know, kind of find some points in that article? Uh, we kind of touched on the Wizards already, so I'll I'll go past that. Um, I guess <laughs> the we'll we'll go with the Pacers. Uh, Oladipo Oladipo's been really bad um, coming really? out of the All Star break. Shooting thirty two point nine percent from the field on twelve shots a game, completely tanking their offense as a result. I mean, that's the kind of volume and percentages that will take uh, tank an offense. Um, they're they've been eleven point seven points worse per one hundred possessions when he's on the court. Defense is two point six points worse. Um, they're two and six since he came back. Well, I mean, one of those one of those wins was against the Hornets in a game they had no business winning, where he, Oladipo was terrible and then hit that that pull up three at the end. And the other one was against the Bucks without Giannis. They also went into overtime against the Bulls. Yeah, so like, they went into overtime against the Hornets too. Yeah, they they very well could be zero and eight if Giannis plays. They're they're one and seven at best. Yeah. So and they just I think they said that he is ready to play thirty minutes a game now. I think that got reported. It. Well, no, no, sorry. Go ahead. No, no more minutes limit for him, and I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing here. From a betting perspective, I would be very happy to continue just taking them to lose until mm-hmm. Victor Oladipo starts shooting forty percent, maybe consistently. Um, I mm-hmm. think it's a situation where obviously they're not they're not going to keep you know going like two for six the rest of the way, but um, yeah, I would I would I would be willing to bet yeah. against them uh, while he's playing this badly. Yeah, I mean, he's quietly kind of played them out of the race for. I mean, they were they were in the race for like the probably not the two anymore with how well Toronto's played, but the three or four. And now they're in sixth, and they can easily crawl back and you know and 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 give Miami and, and Philly a run for for the four spot and home court advantage. And unlike Brooklyn, they can't really fall out. I mean, they're eleven games up on the nine seed right, right. now. So like, even if this continues, like they're going to make the playoffs. So like, that's not a concern. But I wrote something very similar in my article, and that was. Uh, my prediction was that we don't see the real Victor Oladipo until next season 
And I, I made some of the same points you did. I mean, he's what's interesting is their response to him playing so poorly is not, okay, well, let's just bring him back gradually. We'll play him 25 minutes. It's like for each bad game he has, like we're playing you five more minutes. We're, now we're starting you. And it's just completely backfired for them. And I, I think in a lot of ways, like beating the shorthanded bucks before the break, like might've been a bad thing because it, it, you know, the first news that we get after the break on the Pacers is that no more minutes limit for Oladipo. I was like, what about this has suggested that he should play more? So it's just really weird that they're, they're kind of just throwing him in and, and hoping that, he can swim, and then that's it's just going to magically come back at some point. And you know, the more reps he gets, the the better he'll be eventually. But I mean, his his game has just completely changed. Like he's not the same player right now. His three point attempt rate for the season is forty eight point two percent. So almost half of his shots are coming from three. His career average is twenty eight percent, twenty percentage points higher. He's just you know, I, w- I wouldn't say it's like lazy offense, but like he's just settling for three pointers significantly more than he ever has. I mean, he's shooting 33% from the field overall, and a, a part of that is he's shooting terribly from three. And, and when half of your shots come from three and you're shooting 24, 24% on those shots, obviously it's going to bring your percentages down. But, um, yeah, I mean, their their patience with him has been uh, a little interesting. You know, and I, I do wonder, I mean, if we, get, if we get five games out of the break and he's still shooting 30 35% from the field, I, I wouldn't be shocked if we start to see more Jeremy Lamb, more Brogdon, you know, more Justin Holiday, maybe Aaron Holiday re-enters the rotation. Like, I, I think Oladipo can still be very effective, and for them to reach their ceiling this year, you obviously need the real Oladipo, but it just feels like kind of tr- throwing him out there for this many minutes and trying to force it has not worked so far. They play the, they play the Knicks tomorrow on okay. Friday. Knicks are at home and six-point underdogs. Um, you can get the Knicks to win at plus 210 which I would be interested in. Hmm. Um, hmm. Six-point underdogs at home is a nice number against a team that's really been bad, uh, it as is. bad as the Pacers are. A new app called No House Advantage is taking a different spin on fantasy sports. This platform offers daily player prop contests for cash prizes. Here's how it works. First, download the No House Advantage app and choose a contest. Then, select the over or the under for the six player props listed, The last step is to rank those picks based on your confidence in it being correct. The higher you rank a pick, the more points you earn when it's correct. The goal is to earn more points than the other users competing in the contest. This is an awesome new fantasy sports platform. It's leveling the playing field and making it easier to win than on the traditional fantasy sports apps. Sign up now and you can receive up to a $20 match on your first deposit. Visit knowhouseadvantage.com or find the app in the iTunes app store or on the Google Play store. Speaking of the Knicks, I, I had a little note on R.J. Barrett. Um, you know I've kind of been clinging to him as a good NBA player for some time now. Interesting. Uh, my prediction was just that he creates some optimism heading into hmm. next season. What I wrote is that uh, my, my closing sentence in my argument was, quote, I like Barrett to create at least some semblance of, all right, maybe he's not the next Josh Jackson buzz around him as the season winds down. So we're setting the bar just ridiculously low. You know, if he does not smoke any weed around any babies, he's already cleared that. So that's that's where we're at. You know, these are not bold predictions uh, by any means, especially this one. But every now and then he has he has these games like mid-January against Milwaukee. He goes for 22, eight rebounds, three assists, one block, one steal. You know, and then, of course, the next six games, he probably scores a total of like 11 points. But Every now and then, he looks like the R.J. Barrett that was dominating college basketball at the beginning of last season. So I'm still not by any means out on R.J. Barrett. I think he's been in a horrible situation. I think losing Marcus Morris probably helps him and helps everybody on this roster just play more competent basketball the rest of the way. Uh, so he's somebody I, I you know I'm, I was going to say I'm going to be watching closely. 
I'm not, I can't lie. I'm not going to watch the Knicks all that closely, but I will be monitoring his box scores and his highlights closely over the next two months. Definitely important to monitor. Um, you know, he basically his, his two best games are both in wins, which is encouraging. The first, his, his best game, if we're talking game score, was a 23-point win over the Hawks. Yep. So Good team, too. Can you put a lot of stock into that? But he also uh, had a really good game against Miami in yep. a win. Uh, 23 points on, on 10 shots. When he plays well, the Knicks automatically win. That says something. Yes, except for the next three games where they, they lost. But... Um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty out on RJ Barrett, yeah. honestly. I've I've I think I I don't think I can go back in at this point. Like I nope. doors I, are closed. Yeah, I established a um, a flag very quickly, um, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm very worried. But yeah, it's it's definitely worth watching. Um, <laughs> I I hope he can create some optimism, or else I don't. Knicks fans are just gonna riot because between him and R- and Kevin Knox, Ooh. yeah. Ooh. Kevin Knox sucks. He's so bad. I, I got asked on the radio yesterday who's the worst player in the NBA. Oh, man. He was on the list. I tell you, he was on the list. Michael Kidd Gilchrist was another nomination of mine. Uh, oh, yeah. We talked about Cristiano Felicio. I think those are kind of the big three right now. Can you, can you guess the Knicks' offensive rating when he's on the court? Kevin Knox? Yeah. 38. 102. Ooh. That's, Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's not good. What else you got? Um, what else do I have? Uh, yeah, the the Pistons without Drummond. What? I don't want to talk about the Pistons. Okay, let's go to the Rockets <laughs> then. Uh, yeah, Rockets uh, without. So basically, since Capella played his last game for the Rockets, um, they are five and two to the under. They've been consistently hitting unders all year. They're still hitting hitting unders. I did a ton of research for this article. I could not find out why they continue to hit unders. Um, I tried very hard. I think at, I think I just decided it's because everyone still perceives them as this insanely fast-paced, oh, they chuck a bunch of threes, they must score 150 points a game kind of team. Yep. That's not really who they are. I mean, when they get in the half court, Hargan slows the game down a ton. Um, they also give up a ton of rebounds, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, Westbrook pus- pushes the pace, but um i just consistently they're they're hitting unders and they i i just think it's really interesting what they're doing i mean since they um you know since capella stopped playing for them basically he had a heel injury before he got traded they are first in three-point attempts last in rebounds per game and give up the second fewest turnovers per game so they're insanely reliant on those three factors like obviously every team is reliant on those three factors but they've taken it to another level they won a game against the Pelicans where they got out-rebounded by 20. They had 20 fewer rebounds than the Pelicans. They still won because they hit six more threes, and they had 14 fewer turnovers. So it's this like really crazy – obviously, it's crazy what they're doing, um, insanely mathy. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as betting goes, I mean, I like their unders, and I also like – if you're talking about prop bets, um, opposing teams, players – to go over the rebound totals is something mm-hmm. that I would look at from a prop bets perspective and not necessarily just centers because other teams may try to also go small. So I'll be looking at like guards and forwards maybe yep. to go over the rebound totals. Um, like they play, they play the Warriors tonight and I know Shannon um, liked, you know, Andrew Wiggins to get a double double as like a prop bet um, that, that could pan out for example. Yeah. I, uh, I mean the, Andrew Wiggins is the number one option for the Warriors at this point. So kind of yeah, right. I think something really interesting about the Rockets, and I forget who pointed this out, and 
you know, it's nothing groundbreaking, but I think it's a really, really interesting point is that tying into the perception that you talked about as of the Rockets as this crazy run and gun team. And obviously they've leaned into it with their roster moves, but you look at, you know, 2016, 17. So three seasons ago when I think the Rockets style really started to emerge as this unique, um, you know, that's when James Harden like really started to become the James Harden that we know. Right. And that year, their three-point attempt rate, so percentage of field goal attempts that were threes, was 46.2%. Very high. This season, 48.2%. But the big difference is, back then, the next highest was the Cleveland Cavaliers. That was a LeBron team uh, at just under 40%. So the Rockets were the only team that even cleared 40% three-point attempt rate. This year, you have 10 teams that are over 40%. So like other teams are starting to play that way as well. Uh, so it's not quite as unique as it used to be, and it doesn't. I don't think it catches so many teams off guard and forces you to adjust the same way that it used to. Um, I mean, their three their three point attempt rate this season, like I said, is a little bit higher. But like we just talked about three years ago, when they were this crazy run and gun team, they basically had the same three point attempt rate as the Mavericks do this year, and the Timberwolves this year are not far behind. So you know, there are, there are five to ten teams this year that are basically playing like the run and gun Rockets of a few years ago. So it's, it's just the, the, the dynamics, I guess, around it uh, have kind of changed. And I, I think it's not as, as dramatic, um, as, as a trend as it used to be. Yeah. And that's a, that's a really good, that's a really good note, especially when you're talking about like me not being able to figure out why the unders are hitting. I think it's just perception. I don't think yeah. it's anything like that. They're doing specifically in a vacuum. I think mm-hmm. it's kind of a, a league trend that's, yep. that's, that's shaping this. Uh, I don't want to talk too much about Russell Westbrook because we've we've touched on this before, but I mean he's been unbelievable. It's been great. This and they're I think they're kind of banking on this continuing, getting Capella out of there, letting Westbrook uh, just kind of attack more than he ever has, and and kind of just hoping and praying that he continues to play this style and avoid shooting eight threes a game. Uh, but in in the month of November, so thirteen games, Westbrook averaged twenty one point nine points, six point three rebounds. 5.8 assists while shooting 41% from the field, 21% from three. Since December 16th, that's 22 games, Westbrook is averaging 32.1 points, eight rebounds, seven assists, 1.6 steals, 49% from the floor, uh, still shooting 24% from three, but he's slashed the attempts basically in half, if not less, on a lot of nights. Um, so he's been a completely different player, and he's almost at 80% from the line. I mean, you remember a year ago, he was basically, I think he shot 65.6% at the line so he's jumped up 15 percentage points over the course of a year and I think his everybody bottomed out on Westbrook last year I think his his perception as a player among like big time NBA nerd people hit an all-time low and I think everybody was basically ready to write him off as just a contract kind of similar to Chris Paul in a lot of ways I mean Paul was more injury induced whereas Westbrook's was style of play but both of those guys have come back with a vengeance this year. And, you know, with Chris Paul, I think the biggest surprise has been that he stayed healthy. I think he's only missed one game. And Westbrook has done the unthinkable. And finally, after, what, 12 NBA seasons or whatever it's been, is finally playing like everybody has always wanted him to play. Yeah, and this is is on the season as a whole, so it's not a great... Um, like like you're mentioning, a lot of these trends are pretty recent, basically since they've they've been doing small ball. But his three-point attempt rate, you know, he's taking 17% of his attempts from beyond the arc. Um, that's his lowest mark since 2011 12. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and that was, um, you know, that was a season where he, he made a second all star game. He was very efficient 46% from the field, 82% from, from uh, the charity stripe. Pretty similar season overall to what he's doing right now, except the rebounds and assists yeah. weren't, you know, weren't quite there yet. But 
um, yeah, it's. I mean, it's good to see him be able to succeed in this role because, you know, I I like Russell Westbrook. It just became infuriating to watch him and just the, the types of shots he was taking over the past mm-hmm. couple of years. And you know, the the version this version of Russell Westbrook is one of the most exciting players in the NBA, yep. um, and someone who can be effective and isn't just you know this tornado that everyone thinks is being super effective, but is really just a smoke and mirrors guy. Yeah, last note on the Rockets. Um, over the last few days, they did make a couple more additions. They added, I, I guess, guys like who, who for them are, this is the equivalent of adding two centers, Jeff Green and Damari Carroll. Yeah. Uh, did not realize that Damari Carroll was wearing number 77 in San Antonio. Never, uh, we've been over this before on this podcast, never, ever, ever a good sign if a player wears anything higher than 55, <laughs> ever. That usually means they're not happy or they're at a point in their career where it's just like, screw it, I don't care, just give me whatever number's available. Um, but I, I don't think those guys will be available tonight. We're, they're kind of waiting to clear waivers, and honestly, I'm not sure when that's going to happen. I, I couldn't find a, um, an exact date in the Woj write-up on ESPN, but they'll be in the mix at some point. I, I don't know how much they'll play. You know, Jeff Green has a long history of basically joining teams at this point every year and you know, kind of going back and forth week to week whether he should be in the rotation. Carroll, we'll see. I mean, he had a nice, pretty nice year in Brooklyn last year and then didn't play at all for San Antonio, which was a little concerning based on the need you would think for a player like him, but just more wing depth for a team that that certainly needs it. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, most of these guys I'm pretty sure are just going to be, you know, injury, uh, uh, injury depth, basically. Yep. You know, PJ Tucker suffers an injury. If Ben McLemore goes down randomly with an injury, I think Carroll and, um, Carolyn Green are going to be guys who can uh, just be there. So the Atlanta Hawks are one of 12 teams that play tonight. They will not have Clint Capella. It sounds like we might not see him for at least a couple more weeks. Um, And I don't think that's terribly surprising. I think that's one part of the reason the Rockets traded him is they were worried about this issue. And two, I I don't think the Hawks care that much. I mean, that was a long-term play by them regardless. Uh, But they're a team that has obviously been really bad um, to begin the year, especially on the defensive end. Some of their young wings, Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter, uh, have really struggled. But uh, what is your outlook now, um, even though it might be a few weeks until we see Capella, for for how this sets up with him and John Collins playing next to each other? I just really like uh, that the you know the, the Hawks have found a center, at least one in Deadman, uh, who's going to be healthy to put around Trey Young. Um, you know, they've been going with a Damian Jones, Bruno Fernando center rotation, which is unbelievable. Um, and they were trying John Collins there, but he's not really a five. Um, but yeah, I, I think Deadman's great for them because he can, he can space out, uh, he's a floor spacing five. He can block shots that allows John Collins to do what he does best, which is run the pick and roll, uh, with Trey Young. Um, and basically they're starting five now that the Trey Young, Kevin Herter, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, Dwayne Deadman lineup. Uh, right now, 7.4 points per, per 100 possessions. Um, that's a plus uh, over their 38-minute sample. Um, Deadman himself in 78 minutes with the Hawks is plus 10 net rating. Um, obviously, the Hawks still have issues. Their team just isn't good. But um, they're, they've been a team that you know all season has been pretty good at home against the spread, 15-10-1. They've been hitting overs a ton, 32-23-1 uh, to the over. And I think I don't think the, this move with Deadman um, drastically improves their defense, but I think it really improves their offense. And so I could I could see a bunch of the like Hawks overs hitting for the rest of the season because now mm-hmm. that you've given Trey Young a real like real center option, 
I think I think it's going to make their offense way better. Um, and I think you know begging on them to win at home, begging on them to hit overs is something that that I would be interested in in doing now that they function more like a real team. Yeah, I like the Capella deal for them overall, just as a general asset grab. You know, yeah, I, no, I think I, I think it creates some issues with Colin or yeah, with John Collins yeah. um, in terms of what his future holds. I, I would imagine he's going to be a max guy or someone who perceives himself as a max guy. Which, if you're going to pay him that, and it's, it's kind of tough to imagine them letting him walk based on where they are, based on his age, based on how how well he's played, at least statistically. I mean, to have that much money tied up in him and Capella, and then eventually having to pay Trey Young, who at the you know whether he's worth it or not, based on his overall value, for sure a max guy. You just have to wonder, like, is that the core that you're willing to lock yourself into? And I think it's especially interesting when you consider that this team, you know, built by Travis Schlenk, was kind of supposed to be the Eastern Conference version of the Warriors. And the Capella move feels like they've kind of pivoted away from that, right? I mean, the Warriors never had a center like Capella whatsoever. And that was kind of the point, is not having a guy like that who doesn't offer you anything outside of five feet. Right. And, um, yeah, I mean, I... I, it makes sense to pair someone because Trey Young is such a deadly pick and roll guy. I mean, maybe you know Travis Schlenk just thinks that Trey Young is so bad at defense that you have to just put as many strong defenders around him as possible, even if it comes at the expense of a a smoother running offense. Right. Because um, I agree, the fit with Collins, even if it means trading Jabari Parker. Yeah. Right. Uh, if even even if the Collins Capella fit isn't great. Because uh, of the floor spacing issues, Collins yep. is a fine three point shooter, but that's not really what has gotten him to be a twenty point per game guy. Yep, um, it's it's really just been his rim running. So, I I think it's a fine move, like you said, uh, good to give an asset as valuable yep. as that. Uh, but you know, we'll, we'll see. So this is a quick note. This is not written up in, in either of our columns, but I saw this today. I, I believe it was mentioned by Jason Lloyd of the Athletic on a podcast. Uh, he apparently the Cavaliers turned down. Um, Hassan Whiteside and Ken Bazemore for Kevin Love. And I think salary-wise, the Cavs would have had to attach someone else. Um, but, it, I mean, based on that roster, it would have been pretty negligible. Is that a deal that you would have accepted? I read the comments on the tweet, and most Cavs fans were like, oh, thank God they didn't do that. Is that just a straight-up overvaluing of Kevin Love? I think Whiteside's so. expiring. Yeah. So, I mean, it would be essentially dumping Kevin Love. Okay. I mean, every, everything that we've heard about Kevin Love's trade value is that teams want uh, the Cavs to also attach right. picks to get off of the Kevin Love contract. Yeah. Teams do not view Kevin Love as a positive asset anymore. Right. Teams want him, but they don't they they don't think he's worth the price. And I don't so. even think that many teams want him. You know, like no. I've been I've been pretty firmly on the Kevin Love is extremely overrated train for the last couple of years. I I, I think for certain teams he'd be a great fit. If you're asking him to come in and be your co-star, I don't think you're winning the title. I don't think you're getting close. No, he needs to be the third best guy on your team at the least, at the most. He right. needs to be third or fourth best guy on your team. And he's someone that not only is not a good defender, yeah. has not played more than 60 games since 2015-16. Yes. But so, 22 games last year. Yeah, he's injury prone, not good at defense, and he's, his three-point shooting is good, but not elite. No. Um, obviously a good rebounder, but he's down to he, he's averaging less than one offensive rebound per game this year. I'm sure some of that's effort related yeah. because why does he care anymore? But well, more more than half of his shots are threes at this point too. I mean, he's kind of he still rebounds at a, at a good rate, especially for someone who spends that much time away from the hoop. But 
he's not the same Kevin Love that he was in 2011 when he was a 2015 guy. You know, like he's he's just he's just kind of a stretch four who doesn't play defense at this point, and he rebounds better than the average stretch four, and that's worth something. But I, I would have accepted that deal. I I would think so too. I don't know. I mean, I, I just don't think he's going to gain value. That's the thing. You know, if you think if your reason for not accepting that is we need to get a pick or we need to get a young player, I just I just don't see you, that offer coming in a year when Kevin Love is 32 and you know further declining. I mean, I think like the reason Portland probably made that offer as somewhat of a desperation play is you got to do something. You know, you, Damian Lillard's going to miss at least a few games coming out of the break. Like if you want to get that eight seed, you need to shake things up. Clearly, what they have now with all the injuries isn't working and weirdly i kind of like that fit you know love being a, a, a oregon guy aside right i think him kind of being like the co number two option with nurkic mccollum um yeah. even even zach collins to some degree not as a scorer but just like he can kind of be like the second to fourth best player on any given night i think that's kind of a perfect setup yeah pick and pop with damian lillard yeah like you pick go cj mccollum you're ending your year assuming you're in the playoffs like you would be heading into the playoffs with nurkic collins Love, Mello, Lillard, and McCollum as your top six. Like, that's not terrible. You'd feel good about that. Big-time um, defensive questions, but it, you could do worse. Yeah. I mean, Love's contract is extreme. He has three more years on it after this year. Yep. You, I, I mean, if they're trying to play the waiting game, they're going to be waiting, like, three years. Right. That's the thing, is you have so many years on top of it that, like, you can— you know, we've seen guys like go from a bad contract to tradable in that once it's expiring. Kevin Love's going to be like 35 at that point. Right. Like at whatever value he has now will be completely gone by that point as it as an actual impact player. I would just I would do what I can to to dump the asset. I, yep. I don't think his um you know, I don't think his uh I don't think he's doing much from a team chemistry standpoint yep. right now. Um, Absolutely so not. I don't think you can even say I don't even think you can sell with the fans at this point like, well, you know, I know he doesn't win games for us and the contract is bad, but like he's mentoring the young guys and blah, blah, blah. I, I don't no, he's not. He's, he's openly not doing that. Yeah. He's openly firing, you know, 60 mile an hour passes at his teammates, um, you know, in front of 20,000 people. Yep. Um, it's a shame they don't play the Pistons again this year. That would be an all time matchup, <laughs> which, I, which stands to reason because I, I swear to God, those teams play every week and that makes sense. They've already played four times. <laughs> All right, last thing before we head out, we got John and Mario coming in to talk talk a little pigskin. Um, are the Bucks going to get to 70 wins? Do you want them to get to 70 wins? Do you care if they get to 70 wins? Will they attempt to get to 70 wins? I personally don't care. Um, I think that they have done everything they can do in the regular season to prove that they are a very good team. I I you know that their their remaining schedule is tough. Yes, it is. They've had the easiest schedule in the league thus far. Yeah. But part of that is due to the division and the conference in which they play. The ten easiest schedules so far in terms of strict the schedule metric are all in the East. Right. So it's not necessarily their fault. Um, you know, it would be nice as a you know I'm sure it'd be nice as just one of those things. Hey, Bucks got seventy wins. Um, but I think fans now are so locked in, and the <clears throat> fans in Milwaukee understand that this is a team that needs to go to the finals or it's yes. basically a failure if they can't get it out of the Eastern Conference. Mm-hmm. So I think it would like it would be nice if they got to 70 wins, but people would also be like oh, yeah. cool. Let's see what I agree. I think that's I think the title means way more. I think the other the other point here is a team just won 73 games like 4 years ago. So yeah. It would it, like you wouldn't be breaking a record, you know. Like I think if if the Warriors had gotten to like sixty eight, sixty nine, whatever, 
and the Bucks were the first team since the mid-90s Bulls to get to 70, that would mean more. But it's like, okay, so you won three fewer games than a team that won 73 and then didn't win the title. You know, like, I just don't... If they could go for 74 wins, I think that would be different. But 70 to me, it's like, it's just a number. It's not a record. I agree. Like, do you know how many games the Raptors won last year off the top of your head? Uh, I guess 54. 58. But that's 58. what I mean. You don't know. They won yeah. the title, and that's what matters. Exactly. Like, if you go down the list, yep. these teams won the title, how many games did they win? Nobody yep. cares anymore. So effort or no effort, whether the Bucks go for this or not, I don't think they get it. They, Like you said, the schedule is a little bit backloaded for them. They do finish out with Nets, Cavs, Hawks, Nets, their last four games. So if they can get to that point, they're going to be golden. But I, I highlighted all of their losable games the rest of the way, and there are quite a few. So beginning with this coming Saturday when they host Philly, you got the Sixers. They play at Toronto later this month, home against OKC on the 28th. Uh, I, won't, I won't say home or road the rest of the way, but they play the in March and April, they play the Heat. They play the Lakers. They play the Nuggets, the Celtics, the Heat, the Rockets, the Mavericks, Raptors twice in three days to start April, at Boston, at Philly, um, and that stretch to begin April. So the first seven days of April, home against Toronto, at Toronto, at Boston, at Philly. Yeah, those three games against that's the Raptors tough. are going to be The Raptors, intense. right. That's the thing. And that's – I think those are probably the <clears> – it's really hard to expect the Bucks to sweep the Raptors the way they've been playing. You know, I think if you if you go two and one against the Raptors in these last three, that's great. And then that means you can't – you know, you can only lose one more the rest of the way. I think fans would care more if the Bucks went 3-0 and against the Raptors than to get the 70 wins. Yeah. The rest of the way. Yeah. True. Just, you know, as like a revenge thing right. for the playoffs. So you can lose and, you can lose four of all those games that I mentioned. And I don't know. I don't know. It'll be close. I think they I I will predict that they get to 69 wins. Yeah. 68, 69 in that range. Okay. All right. We got to get out of here. Uh looking forward to the games tonight. Looking forward to getting back into it this weekend and you'll be back tomorrow with Shannon and Ken. Headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.